And I want to start out with this, this word to you. And that is, how many times, I mean, if you think about it, you don't, don't have to answer, but how many times have you heard about the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? That, that many times? You know, a lot of times, many times. Mucho, right? Many times. What has that done for you? What does that do for you today? I, I know, you know, for some of you, you've already responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've surrendered your life to him. But each time you hear about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, are you just moved emotionally? Or are you just really rocked to the core of your soul to where uh, you're reminded once more of the love of Christ and how it is that God demonstrated his own love toward you? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What it was that he went through. It's one thing to consider what he went through physically. But it's quite another when we consider what he went through spiritually. As the wrath of God was poured out on him on our behalf. Let's pray and we'll get into this message Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did demonstrate your own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, uh, the world laughs and mocks because we have a God who died. If that was all, then there would be reason to mock there would be reason to laugh and ridicule for we would be without hope. And yet, that's not where the story ends. Not only did you die for our sins, having victory over sin, but you rose from the grave. Today we, we worship and we praise and we have hope in A living God, not a dead God. Not one that has eyes but cannot see, ears that cannot hear, a mouth but cannot speak, hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk. We have a God who is sovereign, who is wonderful in every way, who not only died for us but lives for us, rising from the grave and having victory over the grave. That in Jesus Christ we may have life in that everlasting and that we would look we could look forward to that day in which we are in your presence forever. And so Lord the torn veil is is that which was necessary in order to give us access to the Father. For Jesus said I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. And so although it's painful to go through Such scripture as we're going to go through this morning, Lord, it was necessary, Lord, that our Lord, Jesus Christ, would need to drink from this cup of wrath in order for us to drink eternally from the water of life and have hope and joy in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for loving us that much. I pray it would be life-changing, redirecting. And Lord, thank you for helping our eyes look up to the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning we'll be learning about the details of Jesus' crucifixion according to Matthew. Now Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we go through them. We learn different details and many that just do coincide and go hand in hand. And others that just share like a brief overview, different perspectives and details about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been betrayed, arrested, tried, and found innocent by Pontius Pilate. And yet the Jews demanded that Pilate release to them An insurrectionist, a murderer by the name of Barabbas, instead of Jesus on the Passover, the time when it was a custom for the Romans to release 
one to the crowd, a prisoner, anyone whom they desired would be released. It was kind of like their pardon. Well, Barabbas was a known, again, insurrectionist and murderer, and and the people asked that he be released and that Jesus be crucified. And so Barabbas was released, and Jesus is on his way to being crucified, only having, after having been mocked by the Roman soldiers, by having him stripped of his clothes and robed with a scarlet robe, having a crown of thorns pressed into his brow, having been given a reed in his right hand, and then the soldier is kneeling, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They hit Jesus repeatedly on the head and continue to mock him as they removed the scarlet robe, took away the reed and put his clothes back on him. Then they marched him off to be crucified. And yet through all of this, we learn and we know that Jesus remained silent. The mockery would not do anything for the overall mission of Jesus going to the cross and dying for the world. For the people, you and I, to make atonement for our sins, being committed against God, the God that we were against and they were against at the time. He was going to fulfill that mission, even for those who were mocking him, ridicule him, spitting in his face, putting the crown of thorns on his head. And thus, all of that was ignored by the, by the Lord, and he remained silent. This morning, we continue with our Lord in his path to Golgotha, that is the place of a skull, Calvary, the location of his crucifixion. The manner in which Matthew records the crucifixion and death of Jesus was by giving us a, a summation with some highlights, and then Matthew breaks down what took place in Jesus' last three hours on the cross. When the world went dark, the earth trembled, the rocks split in half, and the veil was torn from top to bottom, giving us access to the Holy of Holies and to the very presence of the Lord. Oh, what a wonderful gift. Matthew then continues his summary of the important highlights of the actual burial of our Lord. But we'll only be able to cover the crucifixion this morning. So first of all, Jesus was mocked on the cross. Read with me in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 32, which says, And they went out, they found, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let, him, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Jesus' crucifixion mocked on the cross. It is thought that this Simon of Cyrene was visiting Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And Cyrene was a, part, uh, was, was a town in the northern part of, of Africa and was located some 800 miles away. And so if you take uh, the traveler, the everyday traveler, maybe 20 miles a day that he could travel, it was all on foot, and it would take him about two months, a month and a half to two months to travel that whole distance. 
And I just had to think about this Simon. How was that he was compelled, he was ordered by the Roman soldiers to carry the cross for Jesus, who was weakened by the whipping, the flogging that he had received. His body at this point weakened to the point to where he needed some help carrying the cross. And Simon was ordered by the Roman soldiers to carry this cross for Jesus. A condemned man. He had 800 miles to think about it. 800 miles to think about this short portion of that travel that was carrying the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to wonder what what was going through his mind. What did he learn later about Jesus Christ? Matthew does not write any more about this man, but again, one would naturally think that this man knew the suffering of Jesus up to the time he was actually crucified. And again, Simon had about one and a half to two months to think about everything that had taken place just as he was leaving town. Imagine, I'm just leaving, I'm going back home. No, you're going to carry his cross. But at the time they reached Golgotha, which was known as a place outside of Jerusalem, which apparently was a mountain that resembled a skull, which was fitting for a place of death, Jesus was offered wine mixed with gall. Now, this was something that was known in that day uh, that was used to numb the pain and the mind of any kind of real true pain that was being experienced by the person. A person would become less aware. Uh, We have uh, medicines that today we use for that very same thing, morphine being one. But it kind of puts you out of it. And so at the moment that Jesus tasted it, he refused it. He rejected it, knowing full well that he would suffer with a clear mind, experiencing the fullness of the wrath poured out upon him. The sins of the world, not to mention the physical pain that would continue, even getting worse as his hands and feet were nailed to the cross and he was lifted upright so that his weight was used to add to his suffering. That's why he was, they were giving them this. So that perhaps a little bit of compassion, they would give him this so that it would lessen his pain or at least numb it. Crucifixion was something that was perfected by the Romans. It was designed to be a slow and extremely painful death. It is where we get our word excruciating. We could just imagine, you know, sometimes we think, oh, that's painful. You know, as we, as we experience different things in our lives, uh, you know, we, we think, well, that, that's painful. When you get to the point to where you have excruciating pain, you will know. You will know if you ever get there. Hopefully you don't, but if you've ever felt some deep pain that just rocks you to the core of your being, you begin to kind of catch a glimpse, a glimmer, scratch the surface of what our Lord experienced for you and I. A person who was crucified was considered the lowest of people, the worst of criminals. It was torturous. As a person was laid on the crucifix, he would be nailed just below his wrists in a very precise location, also on his feet. And then a block would be nailed just below his feet so that the person could prop himself up to take a breath in order to prolong the excruciating agony that was being experienced by this person who was condemned to death. The person was propped up You could just imagine, remember what happened with Jesus just before this, and he was marched up to Calvary, flogged, back was ripped open, the bleeding was significant, it was all just about, you know, clogged up and, you know, the blood was somewhat slowing down. He was laid on that cross. When that happened, his back opened up again, and the bleeding continued. And just to take one breath, you'd have to rub his back 
on that wooden cross, propping himself up, twisting his shoulder in his hands in such a way that it caused deep pain. I remember um, years ago when I was in the Navy how it was that in my right hand I was experiencing some weakness and some kind of uh, pins and needles sensation. And so they sent me to uh, the Naval Hospital in Oakland and uh, going to take a uh, nerve test. Has anybody had a nerve test? Yeah, quite a few of you. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So they started putting these little tiny needles into the pads of my, my hands, right? My hand, my right hand. And they would send these impulses into it to see the response, right? And um, so I, I, didn't know, I didn't know what they were doing. They just, it hurt, you know, as they went down. So they went there, and then I think they went the backside, and then they went down the middle, and then they went right here, right there. And as the doctor was lowering that needle, it struck something. And immediately, my eyes got really big. I looked at him, and he goes, lay back, lay back. Right? <laughs> and the last thing I remember is, is those words, lay back. I, he laid me down, and I came to. The room was dark. The door was cracked, only in the Navy, right? I'm like, what happened? Right? Would, so I, I kind of sat back up. I'm, I'm thinking, I just I completely went out. I fainted. He comes back in. He says, oh, yeah. He says, I, I kind of went down too far. I'm so sorry. Like, You're sorry? Oh, man, the pain. It was this shooting, fiery pain. As soon as he hit that nerve, it was like, I, I had never experienced pain like that. And it was just for a moment, thank you, Lord, that you designed us in such a way to where if we do experience that kind of pain, that we just go out. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was extremely painful. Now, the medial nerve runs down the middle of your, your arm right here. That's what they were kind of testing out. What they said was I had some damage in my medial nerve and more than likely you would never regain full strength in that, that arm and, you know, um, you, your body adapts so, right? And all that. If that was painful, the Lord refused this wine mixed with gall to numb anything. He experienced and knew the fullness of the pain that was, he was being inflicted with at the hands of these Roman soldiers being crucified. And just imagine spikes being driven right about here. And every time he lifted himself up to take a breath, the shooting pain would go through his body and he would feel that pain. Which again, I just, I just got just a, just a little glimpse of that. The fullness of it just is unimaginable. Imagine your your worst pain. That doesn't even come close. It was all exhausting and the pain beyond belief that he experienced. But just remember this, that Jesus went to the cross for you and I. Jesus went to the cross willingly. He experienced fully And let me tell you that he went out of obedience to the Father. John 10, 17 and 18 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me. me. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This was before his crucifixion. He was prepping his disciples. He was trying to help them understand, listen, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to experience this. But listen, I go willingly of my own accord, of my own free choosing. Why? Because I want to be obedient to the Father, and I want to follow through with this plan of salvation that was set before the foundation of the world. 
It's all there. It is remarkable that God loves us this much. That Jesus willingly laid down his life for our sake. How can we ever doubt God's love? We get in, sometimes we get into the self-pity mode. It's like, no, you know what? The hope that we have goes beyond our circumstances, way beyond. No matter what you can experience, God knows. And he will see you through. And there's something much better at the last breath here in the first breath there. That's what we look forward to. That's what pulls us through. The joy of the Lord, as Nehemiah said, is our strength. Jesus' garments were divided, verse 35. It says, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Casting lots. Um, this is all to fulfill uh, prophecy. Uh, and what we have here is that Jesus was even stripped of his own clothing. Jesus held on to absolutely nothing so that we could have everything. He was poor so that we could be rich in him. Oh, if we would only know the richness that we have in him. He was also kept watch uh, over. He was watched. He, He was guarded. He was on the cross, but he was guarded. That's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean... He's been crucified. He's been nailed to the cross. His wrists, his, his legs, his feet, and yet they had guards that would remain there to watch over him. And over him, his charge. This, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Verse 36 says, When they sat down and kept watch over him there. So they had sat down. They kept watch over him there. Just as we will see how they kept watch over Jesus even after he was buried. So they kept watch over Jesus while he was on the cross so that they could prevent anyone from taking him down and sealing him away. This was their fear. Oh, the scribes, the Pharisees, the the elders of of the the church, they they were wanting to make sure that no one took Jesus down, uh, that they knew where he was buried and sealed. Guards were posted so that no one could turn this into something that his disciples were already saying this, and and Jesus spoke of time and time again, that he would rise from the dead. And then Jesus' charge, which was over him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Verse 37 says, And over his head they, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. This was a sign ordered by Pontius Pilate to be hung over Jesus. It was both to mock Jesus and to mock the Jews. Normally, it would be carried by the condemned person um, to the the cross and then hung there for all to see. This crucifixion was to mock Jesus in that his charge was before him. The Jews denying that Jesus was their king, and it was mocking the Jews because this is the best they could do for a king. And yet, look what his end is. The cross. The charge of a criminal going to his crucifixion was normally, again, carried by the person and then affixed to the cross for all to see and fear. There was a purpose for it. This is what he's been charged with. This is why he's condemned to death. You, every, every one of you subjects of Rome need to be very fearful that this does not happen to you, so do not do what this person did. But that was his charge, the king of the Jews. So it was a mockery of both the Jews and of Jesus himself. And then to top it all off, talk about mockery. He was placed between two thieves, two robbers. Verse 38 says, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Even the positioning of Jesus between these two robbers, uh, Jesus was regarded as the worst of them and thus mocked even further. We'll place you right smack in the middle of them both. They did. And we know that according to verse 44, 
that Jesus was even mocked by these two robbers. One, according to Luke, did repent, but the other one did not. But at one point, they went along with everyone else who was mocking, and they mocked Jesus as well, both of them. Because we also have the travelers, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders who were mocking. Verse 39 says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So you could just hear just the, really the, the mockery behind their words, the attitude, the perspective that they had. He's the Son of God. Why wouldn't God have favor on him? They mocked Jesus for his prophecy and purpose of why he stated he came. They mocked Jesus for his failure to be victorious and reign as the Son of God, delivering the Jews from Roman rule and Roman oppression, which is what they were looking for. They mocked Jesus for his failure to save himself, seeing him hang on the cross. They saw weakness. They didn't see strength. They saw failure. They didn't see victory. They mocked Jesus for trusting in the Father and saying, let God deliver him now if he desires for him. People did it then, and people are still doing the very same thing today. People are ignorantly mocking the words of prophecy and the purpose of Jesus' first coming. To be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the suffering servant Mocking him, you are the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Really? You died on the cross. You are not reigning. Who did you deliver? And yet he did make a way. Through his torn veil. His flesh. People are ignorantly mocking Jesus because he doesn't deliver them and everyone else from personal difficulties experienced in life. Let me tell you that the things that we experience and go through in this life are not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us, as the Apostle Paul said. We, 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 we go through so much, and yet you know what waits for us? As we get older, uh, you, you, you younger folks, you know, you'll, you'll know at some point. I'm serious, you know. I, I, I know at, at one point as a young... And listen, and I'm not telling you, you enjoy your life. The life that God has given you, you enjoy. Please take full advantage of it. Do it in light of what God has done for you. Blessing Him. Living a life just in obedience to Him and, and blessing Him. But live your life with fullness, Right? But there comes a point where mom was right. It's like, whoa! Where'd that pain come from? Right? That little, that little shot, it's like, where'd that come from? I didn't do anything, did I? Listen, this, I mean, I cannot believe how many years have gone by. I mean, for me, 28 years have gone by so quick. I'm soon to be 30 in a couple years, and I cannot believe it. Where's the time go, right? Where's the time go? And yet this isn't it. We've had an opportunity to respond to the gospel. That's what's been given to us. A treasure before us in Jesus Christ. To respond to live a life with great hope and joy in the Lord and look beyond the difficulties that we experience in this life. It's the hope that we have. So many people are mocking Jesus today, even Christians. Why? Why in the world would you mock the Lord? 
If you were God, you would not allow me to go through this. Really, what does he owe you? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about entitlement. What, tell me, what, what, have, what have you done to deserve like everything? Perfect health and perfect everything. Let's talk about it. Let's lay it down. Let's talk about it biblically. We've done nothing. We've done nothing to deserve anything other than eternal condemnation. And yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We ought to live these lives with great gratitude toward the Lord. Bless him in response. People are ignorantly mocking Jesus because they don't understand how God can come to die. Isn't that defeat? Your God died. Oh no, but he rose from the grave three days later. People are ignorantly mocking Jesus because he trusted in in a father who led him to the cross and failed to deliver him from such a painful experience. If God is God, then why does he allow all of this? The father led the son to the cross to experience this excruciating death? Why would he do such a thing? Oh, because his eyes were fixed on you and I. That's why. So that by the shed blood of Christ, we may know his righteousness through belief and surrender to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And know forgiveness. And know God's grace. Completely. Forever. And ever. Amen. Right? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. We can get a little excited. It is God's kindness that draws us unto himself, and we love because he first loved us. We only begin to know love the moment we understand the love that he has demonstrated toward us, and he has toward us. Amazing. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love toward us, in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So he's mocked on the cross, and secondly, the second portion of the message this morning is he was confessed at his death. Verse 45, as we continue now, from the sixth hour, that is noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, that is 3 p.m. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many." When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Confessed at his death. From 12 noon to 3 p.m., there was darkness over the land, so dark that the stars shone, the moon shone. In fact, it was a full moon because that's when Passover would be celebrated. It would always be a full moon. In fact, this would be impossible to have a full eclipse of the sun when there is a full moon. You, You can look that up scientifically and know that it's impossible to have a full eclipse of the sun, especially not for three hours with the full moon. This was definitely a vivid response of creation to what was happening with its creator. God's wrath being poured out upon his son. There's a Roman historian by the name of Phlegon 
that wrote this, quote, In the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, there was an extraordinary eclipse of the sun. As the sixth hour, that is again noon, as, the sixth hour, as of the sixth hour, the day turned into dark night, so that the stars in heaven were seen, and there was an earthquake. Interesting. So here we have a Roman historian who writes the very thing that we see here in Scripture. It was at this time that Jesus cried out, and then shortly thereafter said, It is finished. To tell us die, and yielded up his spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a fulfillment of what was written by the psalmist in Psalm 22, 1. It was filled with emotion. That's why we have we have a high priest who can sympathize with you and I, who is tempted and yet is without sin. He's gone through whatever you've gone through and so much more. Talk about being forsaken, about being betrayed, being left by those closest to him, being rejected, being crucified having the wrath of God poured out upon him. He experienced all of this. Jesus knew at that moment the fullness of God's wrath on humanity's sin as he took it upon himself. There is no suffering that could come close to the suffering that our Lord experienced on the cross. He can truly sympathize with everything that we go through. That's why we can look to him And as we're comforted by God, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, listen, as God comforts you, so turn around and comfort others with the same comfort comfort that you have been comforted by God with. Turn around. Comfort others. Remind them of how faithful God is. How merciful. How good he is. This was the moment of God's judgment of our sin. Jesus was judged in our place and this is what Jesus was asking the Father in the garden of Gethsemane to allow him to avoid. If possible, let this cup pass. If there's any other way, let it be done. Nonetheless, may your will be done, not mine. This this is what he wasn't talking about the crucifixion, the physical suffering. He was talking about this, God's wrath being poured out upon him. There's any other way. And yet there wasn't. This was it. This was the plan all along. And Jesus took upon himself the sin of the world on our behalf. The people around Jesus were simply watching him to see if anything he said was true. Can you imagine? I mean, the, the leaders, uh, the, uh, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the elders who were telling him, Hey, listen, if you come down from that cross, then we'll believe in, in you. No, no, they wouldn't. He had done so many other things. He had spoken already in their presence as one with authority, which he did have authority. They, they wouldn't have believed him. They were missing the whole point in prophetic fulfillment, in the prophetic fulfillment of the cross and Jesus' suffering before them. The people thought that Jesus actually was crying out uh, Eloi, Eloi. What, what, is, what is Eloi as opposed to Eli? My God, my God, or my Elijah? My Elijah. Why have you forsaken me? Oh, oh wait a minute. Let, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. They, they missed it. He wasn't crying out for Elijah. Crying out to the Father. Jesus yielded up his spirit and breathed his last. He said just before he breathed his last, though, tell us die. Finished. Paid in full. Even then, brothers and sisters, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps because our Lord was on the cross and he, he proclaimed victory. He said, to tell us die, it is paid in full, Done. Yay! Yes! Yay! 
It's paid in full. You no longer have to observe the law in order to gain favor from God. You never did and you never will. You can't be good enough. You will not gain my grace because grace is something that is given that's unmerited. Amazing. Amazing. And then he gave up his spirit. Nobody could take it from him. He gave it up so that you and I could live. How then will we live? How will we respond to that act of love toward us? Oh man, this is, as we we think about what's going on on the cross, and and we finally get it, we, mm, God, you are so good, you are amazing. You, You paid it all. It was a cry of victory as Jesus conquered sin. The curtain of the temple was torn in top from top to torn in two from top to bottom. The Lord ripped it open, gave us access into the holy of holies. What no other sacrifice could sufficiently and permanently do. Jesus' sacrifice fulfilled and now there is an access, an entrance For you and I, that was secured by Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our God, into the very presence of the Father. That's why when we think about John 14, 6, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You said that before you went to the cross, and you are true. You are the door. Yes, you are the door. You are the way to the Father, and you made a way for us to enter into the Holy of Holies and know the presence of God whenever We turn to Him. That's amazing. No other sacrifice could do that. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the dead came out of the tombs. I wish we were given more regarding this amazing response to Jesus' victory over death, but we don't. You know, it's like, wow, we have these zombies movies now, but that pales in comparison to it. Joe! Listen, I didn't mean what, no. You know what I mean? It's like, we, we're not giving any, given any other information. There, it's, it's all like, okay, so let's talk about this. And, you know, it's kind of like um, a question that we get in our study sometimes. What do you think? Right? About, let's, let's speculate here. It's like, let's not speculate here. How's, how's that? Let's just... Leave the word of God for what it is. That's why I love Chuck Smith and his teaching. Because he says, hey, hey, he said, hey, where the Bible is silent, let's just, just be silent. Right? Leave it alone. One day we will know just as we are known. We, we won't have questions. We'll go, we'll be in heaven. We'll go, oh, 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 wow, I didn't, Right? Because all those things will be revealed to us. Amazing, right? But the dead did come out, come out of the tombs. They did walk and they did present themselves. What we have are amazing miracles that took place at the moment Jesus died on the cross. What we do know is that there was a man who was among those who were standing watch over the crucified Christ. And after having experienced all of this firsthand, he confessed, Truly this was the Son of God. I pray that it was a true, genuine conversion in crying this word of belief. That truly, this was the Son of God. The only problem is that he said was and not is, right? But soon, three days later, he would rise from the dead. And, and I, I'm hoping this Roman soldier, this man, said, that's, that's him. My Lord and my God, and he's my Savior. But not only did this Roman centurion and all that were with him witness all of this, but so did the women who were watching from a distance. These are the women who had been following Jesus from Galilee and had ministered to him even. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Mary uh, and the, the mother of, of James and John. You, you know James and John, the sons of thunder. Yeah? The ones that wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume those who had rejected him and 
rejected Jesus. And yeah, so these ladies were watching from a distance, and they observed all of this happening. I mean, just imagine if you were there. What would be going through your mind? All of the words of Jesus that he had said up to this point, and now were being fulfilled right before their eyes? I would imagine a lot of open mouths, right? Hey, what are you looking at? Oh, just look at everything that's going on, right? It's all happening right here, right now. Mary Magdalene was the woman who had been demon-possessed and was delivered by Jesus of such possession. Delivered. Oh, she lived a grateful life toward him. Jesus was mocked on the cross and confessed at his death. But besides these who were noted, there had to have been many others who were witnesses to what Jesus had experienced and what had taken place. Those who had, were traveling by, were going by, they were walking by, and they wagged their heads just like, hmm, what a shame. They witnessed it all. They saw at noon, it, there's not a place that was not dark. It was dark from noon to 3 p.m. Wow, how is this happening, right? The earth shook, the graves opened, people came out that had been dead. All of this took place. Even after Jesus' resurrection, while the two disciples were on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, and Jesus engaged them, they were astonished that Jesus would not know about the events of his own crucifixion. Right? They didn't know that it was him. So they're like, wow, you don't know? Like, this is the talk of the town. This is what's going on. And you don't know? Where, where did, did you just come out from under a rock, you know? They just, they, could, they were amazed that he did not know. Because everyone knew what had happened and the world was talking about it. They talked about his crucifixion, burial, and then his disappearance. This is exactly the way God had intended that the news of the cross would be delivered to the world. It was the gospel, the good news, and it included the burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know that with those disciples on the road to Emmaus as they sat down and broke bread and Jesus gave thanks, that their eyes were open and they realized that Jesus had been with them the whole, this whole time. And, and they said, did not our hearts burn within us? As he explained to us, as he walked us through the scriptures. The torn veil at the cross was the work of the Son of God that gave us access to the Father. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, I don't have time, unfortunately, but please jot down Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 25, and Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Please do me a favor and just go back and read those sections of Scripture. Through Jesus, by grace, through faith, we now have access to the Father. That's all we need to rejoice and have hope in and look forward to. Giving us... Do, do, do any of you need strength for the day? This is it. This is it right here. This gives us... He gives us strength for the day and joy in our hearts. How then will we live our lives... I just, sometimes, again, I'm going to end as I've, I've begun. And that is in considering the impact that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ has on each and every one of us. If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, this should have a deep Im impact on your life right now. If you've been walking with the Lord for not very long, this should have a deep impact on your life right now. In other words, what I'm saying is, everyone, this should deeply impact you. You should be reminded of God's love for you. And then, in light of that, ask the Lord to reveal to you anything that's not of Him. Anything that, that just really serves to be a wall, a blockade, a disobedience anything that is not of Him, and then repent of that and turn to Him to help us walk with Him 
in a way that is worthy of the salvation that we've come to know through Jesus Christ, of the access that we have at any given time into the presence of the Lord by simply turning to him and just crying out to him. Uh, Peter, on the water, simply cried out to Jesus, save me, right? And he heard him and he saved him and he took him back into the boat, right? Listen, that's just as real then as it is today. For us, the moment we understand, oh, I'm, I'm sinking, Lord, in some portion of life, I'm, all we need to do is cry out, save me. He's there. We have access to him. He inclines his ear to us. He listens to us. I pray that this reminder would serve you in a way that deepens your faith and deepens your love for God. Because the Bible tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might, right? With everything that we have, everything, and to love our neighbor like ourselves. If we don't know the first one, we won't do the second one. And it'll show by the way we live our lives. By this, all the prophets and the scriptures are fulfilled, the, the law and the prophets. So I pray that we would know the deep love of God toward us and we would respond appropriately. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the demonstration of your love toward us. We thank you for the reminder of the willingness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross on our behalf, to take upon himself the wrath of the, of the Lord, our God, on our behalf, in our stead, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to respond to that love in a way that glorifies you. Bless your people, I ask. And I also ask, Father, if there's anyone here who does not know salvation, that today would be a simple surrender. Lord, and that's all it is. It's a simple, it's a surrender. Believing you for who you are. Believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Believing that he died for our sins and on the third day rose from the grave being victorious over sin and, and death and today sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us thank you Lord and I pray Lord that, that there would be people who come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ right now may they cry out to you may we all cry out to you thank you Lord in Jesus name Amen